Section 10 of The Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tuesday, February 17th. Geoffrey has typhoid fever. So, Mother and Aunt Adelaide were right. Oh, why could we not have suspected before? The doctor says the disease has been coming on for months, which accounts for Jeff's headaches, his sleepless nights, his general indifference and lassitude. And we know, too, now, that he never would have tried to run away, never would have frightened us so, had he been himself. How hard and unsympathetic we must have seemed these last weeks, for he was sick, poor dear, and dazed and stupid. He could not explain, and we would not understand. Well, we are going to be good to him at last, and make up, Mita, Aunt Adelaide, all of us. Only, says Ernie, with an anxious little frown, it was she who brought the news this morning before school. We will have to wait a while, I guess. Mita says Miss Barron, the trained nurse, is a regular tyrant. She won't let anyone near Jeff. It seems that Mita wanted to go to Geoffrey and apologize as soon as she heard that he had typhoid. The memory of their various scraps and misunderstandings troubled her. She made quite a point of the matter, till Miss Barron said it was out of the question. Then Mita determined she would slip in on the sly for she is very willful once she gets an idea into her head. So she watched her chance, stole up when no one was on guard, got as far as the door, and peeped in. The room was quite dark. Geoffrey's head was swathed in towels and an ice bag. He kept turning it from side to side upon the pillow. His eyes were staring open, and he was muttering to himself in an odd, hoarse voice. Suddenly he caught sight of Mita, who was advancing on tiptoe into the room started up on his elbow and shouted scat she turned and ran poor thing right into uncle george who was coming upstairs with the doctor and he scolded her and sent her to her room i am afraid jeff is going to be very ill dr porter who called to see robin this afternoon was extremely uncommunicative it is impossible to predict at this stage was all we could get him to say fortunately the boy has a good constitution Wednesday, February 25th. Jeff, no better. Oh, how can we endure this suspense? Sunday, March 1st. Geoffrey desperately ill. He is delirious the greater part of the time, or lies in a heavy stupor. Poor little Ernie, who goes every day for news, crept up to his door yesterday morning, crouched outside, and listened. Jeff was singing in a queer, hoarse voice. Forty years on, when afar and asunder, Parted are those who are singing today, when you look back and forgetfully wonder what you were like in your work and your play, followed by snatches of the Eaton boating song. Then he would break off to shout football signals. Twenty-five, thirty-nine, fifteen, left end and tackle over. Nineteen, fifty-six, twenty-two, you fellows there. What are you trying for? Nineteen's a bluff. Can't you remember what's told you? Confound it. Interspersed with muttered snatches of German and Latin paradigms. And, oh, mourned Ernie pathetically, we've done dear Jeff great injustice, Elizabeth. It's amazing all that boy knows. He repeated lines and lines of Caesar. I only wish Hayes could have heard him, and strings of irregular French verbs, and then began to say the capitals of the states, and exports and imports. It was simply wonderful. I felt so proud. But mother and I are frightened. Jeff never would have known such things in his right mind, we feel sure. 
and we suspect that Dr. Porter fears cerebral complications. A consultation was held yesterday, and a second nurse has been engaged to relieve Miss Barron. Monday, March 9th. The fever has still three weeks to run. It does not seem as if Jeff could hold out. Ernie has grown so pale and still these last few days. Mother and I are really anxious about her. Wednesday, March 18th. I am desperate. I can't bear it. I can't. We've just been told that our precious Robin must undergo an operation. Didn't we have enough to endure without this? Jeffrey's so ill, not past the crisis yet, and now Bobsy, my own baby, whom I love better than anything in all the world. God is cruel. Oh, I don't know what I am writing. I must calm myself. This afternoon, after hearing about Robin and trying to write and giving it up, I put on my hat and jacket and escaped alone to the park. I walked fast, and just at first I did not notice anything. The bare branches of the trees against the early sunset sky, the patches of melting snow about the rhododendron bushes, the children playing with their nurses on the common, till one little fellow with rosy cheeks and shining eyes came running, laughing and shouting over his shoulder, and stumbled against me. "'Excuse me,' he piped, and shied off again. It was like a knife in my heart. I wondered stupidly why it should hurt so, and sat down on a bench to think. And then I knew it was because Robin had never run like that. Oh, he's missed so much in his little life. I remember perfectly Bobsy's first birthday, how I woke with a start before it was yet light, and saw the morning star, big and beautiful, shining in at my window. I sat up in bed and clasped my knees and blinked at it, conscious of an unusual stir in the house, till all at once there rose a little cry. How my heart beat. I jumped out of bed, slipped on my dressing gown and slippers, and crept down the stairs to Mother's door, where I crouched against the wall and listened. A few moments later the door opened, and Mrs. Parsons, the nurse, poked her head out. "'Bless my soul,' she said. "'I almost thought you was a ghost, my dear.' Run down to the library like a good girl, and tell your pa that everything is all right. It's a fine little boy, and your mamma is doing nicely. Oh, nurse, I breathed, might I see the baby first? To be sure, you might, answered Mrs. Parsons, and she went back into the room and returned again with a little white flannel bundle, which she laid in my arms. And I put back a corner of the blanket and peeped in, and there was Robin, smiling up at me. His eyes were big and dark, just as they are today, and he blinked them. Everybody says it is impossible that Robin should have smiled, but I saw him, and I know. So the next morning I put away my dolls and never played with them again. It would have been too stupid, with a real baby to mother and dress and sing to. She's crying, chirped a little voice, for I was thinking of these things as I sat on the bench in the park, and sure enough the tears were on my face and I looked up to find three chubby tots standing hand in hand before me, staring in a solemn row. So then I got up and came home again, since I did not care to make a public spectacle of myself, and Mother met me on the doorstep with outstretched hands and her own brave smile. My darling, she said, I meant to spare you, but I am afraid it has come as too much of a shock. Come into the parlor. We'll have a cup of cocoa. And when I was tucked snugly on the lounge and had wept my little weep where no one could see. We talked it all out together. What comfortable institutions mothers are. It seems that if Robin does not have the operation now, he can never have it. A few months later would be too late. 
and though dr porter had hoped to obviate the necessity by a long rest in bed everything else has failed there remains this one chance so we must be brave for our baby elizabeth explained mother he's too young to make the decision for himself the doctor spoke to me of the matter first before christmas i would not tell you then dear since there seemed a chance of escape and we had worries enough without adding anything else but that was why i was so determined not to draw from our little stock of money you helped me there think how thankful we should be that we do not have to borrow that we can engage a nurse for robin everything that is necessary he need not even be moved to a hospital dr porter says it will all be over in a couple of weeks and whatever the result there will be the inexpressible comfort of knowing that everything possible has been tried are you satisfied do you blame me no no indeed i answered only i think i hate the doctor oh elizabeth smiled mother as she took my empty cocoa cup and put it upon the table and now i want you to run up to your room bathe your face and put on a pretty frock mrs burroughs has sent over a charming mould of orange jelly and some lady fingers for robin there is to be a tea-party in the nursery and you and abraham lincoln are invited what do you think of that it was one of mother's dear considerate schemes to save my tell-tale eyes from a downstairs dinner so i kissed her sped up to my room dabbed a little powder on the tip of my nose and donned my forget-me-not dress robin's invitation should be honored with the best i had how his black eyes danced when i entered to him in all my finery allow me the honor of presenting my friend mr abraham lincoln he piped there's the globe elizabeth on the side of the bed you must pretend to shake hands and perhaps we can get him to eat a little ladyfinger so i pretended to shake hands with the much enduring abraham lincoln and tempted him with ladyfingers and orange jelly both of which delicacies he obstinately refused never mind says robin he doesn't know what's good we will eat instead such a jolly party as it was we told stories guessed riddles and ran races to see who could dispose of the most sandwiches till even the kind hippopotamus could not have complained of robin's appetite but at last he grew tired and the weary pain returned take away the party please and sing to me ellie dear he said so i carried the tray outside and came back and sat down by the bed and with robin's thin little hand in mine sang to him all the dear familiar heaven hymns that we have both come to love so well and bobsey cuddled up against my arm and closed his eyes and sighed and then somehow i knew that if he is not to grow up strong and straight like other boys if he is to suffer more and more as the years go by it would be cruel to want to keep robin and oh i went on singing and my voice did not once break or trail so perhaps god will forgive the wicked words i wrote when i was so wild for i believe i can be brave now because after a bit bobsey dropped asleep with his hands still in mine and i think before i left him that i said good-bye sunday march twenty second it is over all yesterday morning ernie and i sat on the attic stairs holding each other's hands and trying to feel hopeful he had such a pretty color on his cheeks last evening said ernie and he did so enjoy looking out of the window buster was there and john waved his hand before they went away it was a good sign that the doctor should have let him up in his chair for half an hour don't you think so elizabeth robin has a lot of vitality yes i know he has i agreed and if the operation does go well how splendid it will be somehow one never thinks of bobsey running about like other boys continued ernie going to school and playing marbles and doing errands i 
I can't hardly realize it. Neither can I, I answered, and for a while there was silence between us. Then Ernie began again. How good everybody has been. Uncle George even offered to pay for the operation. I'm glad we didn't have to accept, though. And we ought to be very thankful, too, Elizabeth, about the boarders. The oatmeal was burned this morning, did you notice? And they never said boo. Just think if Mrs. Hudson had been here. I know it, I answered. Oh, Ernie, if Robin and Jeff pull through, there is not another thing in the world we could dare to ask for. I've prayed and prayed, returned Ernie simply, and I saw Miss Barron yesterday, and she said that Jeff is holding his own. Then, for a long time we were quiet, each thinking her own thoughts. It seemed as the morning would never go. Robin isn't feeling anything at all, said Ernie at last. Dr. Porter promised that. It was to take about an hour, Elizabeth, only, of course, there would be a great deal to get ready first. I must see what time it is. It seems as if we'd been sitting here weeks. And Ernie opened the hall door and stole out into the light, blinking like a little owl. A moment more and she was back, very white and scared. It smells so of chloroform, she confessed. I... I didn't quite reach the clock. So then we shut the door again and waited a long, long while till at last we heard mother call, Elizabeth, Ernestine. I sat quite still, but Ernie ran down and threw back the door. We're here, mother dear, on the attic stairs. Oh, my poor little lambs, said mother, with a little catch in her voice. Couldn't you have found a more comfortable place to wait? But it is over now. Dr. Porter declares the operation a complete success, and Robin has come out from the anesthetic beautifully. Oh, gasped Ernie, and then, with a quick little cry, Elizabeth, Elizabeth! I couldn't see why she should be calling me, when I was right there, sitting on the top step, looking down at her, till, the next thing I knew, they had me on the attic floor, a pungent scent of ammonia at my nose, while Ernie poured cold water down my neck in a vain attempt to get me to swallow, and Mother relieved me of my collar button. Go away, I murmured crossly. I'm only resting. Then do it with your eyes open, commanded Ernie. We aren't used to fainters in this family. I think she is all right now, said Mother. We'll get her into the workshop to Hazard's cot. So there, despite all my protestations, they put me, and after a while the doctor came up and gave me some medicine in a glass. It was very mortifying, but he said I could not help it, and perhaps if I had not made up my mind to expect the worst, I should have borne the news better. And next, if you please, I went to sleep. It was that medicine, don't tell me, and never woke till evening when dear Hayes brought up a tray and sat beside me while I ate some chicken broth. Bobsy's doing splendidly, he said. Of course, we've none of us seen him yet except Mother. And Elizabeth, don't faint, there's a good girl. But Jeff has passed the crisis. They telephoned Uncle George at noon. The office had a half holiday. I came home, heard the good news about Robin, and then went shopping. Shopping, Hazy? I repeated, for it seemed rather an odd way for him to spend his afternoon. Yes, returned Hazard. Want to see what I got? And, with a somewhat conscious smile, he sidled toward the workshop door. A moment later, and he was back, bearing a portentous-looking package, which, the wrappings being quickly removed, revealed a beautiful Clement Braun print of the Sistine Madonna, finished in soft sepia tints and set off by a charmingly tasteful frame. Oh, Hazard, I cried, how lovely! Is it for Robin? No, he's hardly old enough. You must have bought it for Mother. Well, I didn't then, contradicted Hayes. It's just for you, my dear. You see, I had planned to get you something like this at Christmas, but I lost my money and couldn't. 
and you stood by me like a trump when all the rest of the world thought I was pretty much of an ass and didn't hesitate to say so occasionally. Sometimes I've been afraid you didn't know that I appreciate what a splendid chum you are, Elizabeth, so I determined to find some way to show you, and as soon as I began to draw my salary again, I thought of this. It's an Easter present, but I wanted you to have it today. You dear, I cried. Oh, Hayes, I've always wanted this Madonna, but it must have cost a lot, and you've given Mother two dollars every single week. How did you ever manage? Hazy blushed beamfully. That's all right, he answered with becoming modesty. I'm glad you like it. And looking up, I noticed again what Mother and I were commenting upon only the other day. Hazard, I accused. You are thin. You've been saving from your lunches. Don't deny it. Oh, I'm used to short rations, admitted Hazard. It wasn't anything at all, Elizabeth, but it needn't happen again, because, now don't faint, there's a dear, I've been promoted, and am to get five dollars a week from now on. It all comes from my head for figures. You see, I've been helping Mr. Simpkins lately. He's senior accountant, and he was pretty well satisfied with my work. So when Bridges spoke of taking me back into the outside office, what should the old man do but go direct to Uncle George with the matter, and say he couldn't get along without me? Uncle George was pretty much pleased, I really think, so I'm to have what is practically a junior clerk's position, though my official title is only Simpkins' boy, and a two-dollar increase in salary. Rather a pretty turn of luck, eh? Then you helped turn it, Hayes, darling, I answered, and you've earned it every bit. You have worked well and faithfully at things you hated without any hope of reward. Oh, I'm proud of you. We all are. And just at that moment, Mother and Ernie came up and helped me congratulate him and after a bit, when we had discussed the news from every possible point of view, we all went down to hang the picture, and Ernie and Hayes insisted upon supporting me tenderly, one on either hand, which is ridiculous. And before I went to bed, they let me in to kiss Robin. And now it is tomorrow morning. I am sitting at my desk writing, with, oh, such a thankful heart, while above me on the wall hangs Raphael's most beautiful Madonna, quite glorifying and illuminating this shabby little room. End of section 10. Recording by Colleen McMahon.